Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, data and housing journalist with Cal Matters. And I'm Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. And today on the podcast, Prop 5, a.k.a. expanding Prop 13 for older homeowners. If you like Prop 13, here's more of it. Is that the slogan? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it that's the slogan. Anything that's wrong with Prop 13 can't be fixed. Wait, hold on. I'm going I'm to get this right. I'm going to get this right. Anything that's wrong with with Prop 13 can only be fixed by more Prop 13. You'll be voting on this in November, and we have two guests to talk about Prop 5 today. Who Who's the first, Liam? We have uh, Steve White. He is the president of the California Association of Realtors, the major proponent of Prop 5. And we will have some representative of the No campaign as well. We have not finalized who exactly it's going to be, but you will hear them at the end of this episode. And this, this initiative has been has had an interesting life, I'd say. Bandied about yes. for, for quite some time. Yes, and yeah. Liam and I will get into both the interesting politics of this initiative, the future of it, and... And what it actually does, too. Exactly. Because that's a little complicated. First, though, some housekeeping. Uh, Liam and I want to extend some thanks to our friends at ULI, the Urban Land Institute, um, for inviting us to moderate... Really inviting Liam. I was just kind of window dressing there to... Uh, mod- Eye candy. Huh? Eye candy. Yeah. To moderate a panel on Costa Hawkins yeah, uh, rank, repeal and the rent control initiative. That's exactly. also you're also gonna be voting on in November. Exactly. How'd that go? I went really well. Uh so we had uh, I pro, was only there for the first like ten minutes. Yeah, we had pro con and then a sort of semi con uh, uh academic from the, the Turner Center. Um and so we it was a good good conversation. Hopefully well we what we did do is in advance of the the actual debate, uh we did a little presentation on what sort of the rules are for Costa to Hawkins, the rent control regime in California, what that's like now and how that might change. And so uh, I posted that on my Twitter feed. Uh, that's at uh, Dylan Liam. You could find it there. And so if you want some more background, uh, quickly check it out. Yeah, your, your PowerPoint game could use some improvements. I, a lot of text, man. I was, told that, text. I was told that my fonts were not serif enough or something. Um, <laughs> it's a common complaint you yes. get. <laughs> more serif. I also uh, want to thank um, the good people at KQED. I did a Facebook Live with them the same day as that um, Urban Land Institute panel, again, answering questions about uh, Prop 10, Costa Hawkins repeal, and rent control. Um, You can check that out on KQED's uh, various social media. All right. uh, Now to the most popular segment in all of California housing radio. It is... The Avocado of the Fortnite. Our look at the absurd slash whimsical slash hopefully humorous Um, stories that arise because of California's insane housing situation. This avocado of the fortnight comes from the Oakland Raiders training camp. And I love this one. This This one's great. great. This is great. And how how did we find this? Yeah, so we this is a user submission. So thanks, um, uh, uh, Twitter user at Twib. Sorry, I'm going to screw it up because this is not a real name. Um, But thanks to Twitter user at TribTowerViews for tweeting this at me. Uh, Not only tweeting it at me, but tweeting at me with an avocado emoji, knowing very Mm. well this was going to happen. So thank you Mm. for that. Yes. I extend my thanks as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Raiders still in Oakland. Uh, they're moving to Vegas, but for the meantime, they're, they're still in Oakland. And uh, there are some people, newcomers to the team, um, who uh, had a little bit of sticker shock when they joined the team about, uh, you know, how much it costs to live in California. Mm-hmm. So we're going to read some quotes from new Raiders here from this story from 
Matt Kawahara of the San Francisco Chronicle. Good job, Matt. Okay, so there's a recently famous wide receiver guy who's been with the Green Bay Packers, um, you know, not in California, <laughs> a place no. far from California. Uh, for some time, he was there for 10 years, Jordy Nelson. Uh, and I'll just, just read this. Jordy Nelson faced a host of changes coming to the Raiders this year from Green Bay. New offense, new quarterback, <laughs> new coaches. He anticipated another jarring difference, Bay Area housing prices. That's what I told my wife, Nelson said in March. I said, when we sell our house in Green Bay, I don't think it's going to make, make it very far out here. <laughs> Here's the kicker for this. Oh, this is the best part. Nelson reported, reportedly put his five-bedroom Green Bay Area house up for sale in June. The listing price... $379,000, which could get you... Um, Less than half of a burned-out house in San Jose. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, my God. Five so bedrooms. Five, yes. Oh, it's so perfect. This is, this is an NFL player's mansion in Green Bay. <laughs> Green Bay, Wisconsin, mansions owned by one of the most prominent football players there. 379000 Yes, and I will continue with a, another player kind of voicing his... Concerns with, yes, Yes. with Mm -hmm. uh, Bay Area housing prices. It's one thing for players like Nelson, an established NFL veteran who this spring signed a two-year deal reportedly worth $14.2 million. It's another for rookies like defensive tackle Maurice Hurst, a fifth-round pick fresh out of college. It's ridiculous, Hurst said Friday. Look here, look home, look Michigan. I'm like, I can get a nice place over there. But over here, you get a little box. There was one on Craigslist I saw that someone was running out of closet for $400. Also, I like the idea of a fifth-round draft pick looking on Craigslist for his living situation. They don't in the make Bay a area. lot of money. No. Well, I mean, I mean, the, I mean well, you yes. know, in the, the hierarchy of NFL players, they're not, you know, yes. towards the top. Yes. Uh, but still, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to live in the Bay Area. Even if you're making six figures like these guys are temporarily and so it's so good so often in the sports world when it comes to luring athletes to california something that's often brought up is income taxes are so high here that's going to prevent people from signing marquee free agent athletes right because if they go play in texas florida florida they even washington state actually they can just get a lot more money um, because of california's tax structure this is the first time I'm seeing housing prices are so high, maybe we're going to have trouble signing free agent athletes or getting getting athletes to actually play here. And if that be – I can't wait for an NFL player to demand a trade because they can't find a decent house to live in. I think I think that's a game changer. Yeah, that would – I mean, we would just have to grant multiple avocados for that one. That'd be perfect. Yeah. So that concludes our avocado of the fortnight. Now let's go to our main feature, Prop 5. And we have a, a number of the fortnight that's related to Prop 5. Yeah, that's the second most popular segment in all of California housing radio. You uh, keep saying that. Because it is, because we got the avocado and now this this number, not quite as popular, but still a thing. The num- This week's number of the fortnight, it is $2 billion a year. What is that? Yeah. So this is the amount of lost revenue that local governments, cities, counties, and schools would face because of Prop 5 if it were to pass. The Realtors Initiative allowing older homeowners to carry their Prop 13 benefits with them to a new home. So that number is from a uh, report from the legislative analyst. Uh, and just 
because I have a little aside about the LAO that I desperately want to get into for yeah. super nerds. Just so people know, the Legislative Analyst Office, they are like, they're similar to CBO. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office. Yeah. Stop your acronyms, Liam. Oh. Um, Anything where it hurts. They are kind of the, the scorekeeper. They do analysis of both legislation and initiatives. They're a nonpartisan, and they do great work. They do great work. They do great work. So that was your super wonky interlude. No, I oh. have I have something else that I'm. Ooh. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, that'll come up later. Okay. Stay well, tuned. Stay tuned. For stay tuned. Wonk Wonk City over here. So in order to kind of understand this initiative, I think we have to let's take a step back and way back. Way way back. Yeah, the, the late seventies. To the late seventies. Jimmy Carter was president. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iran was in the news. Yes. Uh, gas prices high. Inflation high. <laughs> Uh, the Godfather Co- was in theaters. Godfather, what? That's my favorite movie. Uh, people's shirt, shirt collars, also large. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, there was a polyester craze. Let's name other things we know about the 1970s. Disco. Lady. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Robert Disco. Redford. Ooh, yeah. Jane Fonda, who was recently in the Capitol. All, all these things were from the 70s. Yeah. Um, Some are still around. So specifically 1978, <laughs> 1978. we're talking about. 1978. So, so I'm well, going to... Le- <laughs> Let me say this first. Yes. So we're going to go through some of the basics of Prop 13. I feel like Prop 13 has become a catch-all bogeyman for everything that's wrong with California in a lot of ways. But a lot of people will just say Prop 13, but they don't really know what Prop 13 does. And it does a lot of things. It does a lot of things. Yeah. So first, some things about Prop 13 we're not going to talk about that are important. Uh, so it had a dramatic impact on on how taxes are raised in California. Yes. We're not going to talk about that. It had a dramatic impact on business properties in California. We're yes. not really going to talk about that. So we're just going to focus on housing and homeowners, the, the, that portion of this. Yes, so, which is the core yeah, of it. Which is the core of it and the reason why um, it was popular and why it remains as popular uh, as it is. So, so take us back to 1978. 1978. <laughs> That was uh, the way back. Uh, I'll find a different sound effect. <laughs> so, okay. Late 70s, California property values are rising. So were the property taxes that were tied to them. You have elderly homeowners alarmed, alarmed. And they're worried about taxes, that these taxes would go so high they couldn't afford to pay their bills, which would then force them to sell their homes. And so these fears led to the passage of Proposition 13 in 1978, which completely revolutionized the state's property tax system. I think part of this that kind of gets alighted over, Ooh. if you're taxing property, yes. you're taxing a non-liquid asset, right? Yes. Right? So even though my property values are going up, yes. if I get hit with a $10,000 property tax bill, it's not as if I can instantly draw from the wealth that my property has accumulated to pay that down, right? Yeah, I mean, g- generally that's right. Yes. Certainly, having greater wealth is a thing. Yes, um, and definitely. That, and you have access to, you know, home equity loans, all these sorts of things that you have when you have property. Yeah. But generally, you're correct. You don't have it's the 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 hundred thousand dollar increase in your property value is not the same thing as having additional hundred thousand dollars in your, in bank, your account. bank account. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Right, right. And in an ideal world, what happens as property values go up, the government says, "Oh, your property value is going up. That means more income for us, uh, more tax revenue for us. So we'll." Lower the property tax rate. 
rate. Like that's what sort of a healthy property tax system would do. Mm-hmm. That was not what was happening in the in the seventies. No. So okay. Continue. So Prop Thirteen passes earthquakes all across the the state, uh, and that's because of what it of what it does. Um, Figurative earthquakes. Yes. Not. Yeah. Like, you have to clarify. That's here. right, because we're here this in California. Isn't, this isn't uh, the East Philly. Coast. There's no where yeah. there aren't any earthquakes. There are actual ones, but this was a, a metaphorical figurative earthquake. Yeah. So. Um, Prop 13 limits property taxes to 1% of a home's taxable value. Mm-hmm. And that's based on the year, very importantly, when the house was purchased. It also restricts how much that taxable value can go up every year, even if the market value actually increases more. So there's a 2% cap on that. So it's not like your taxes only can only go up 2%. It's rather the value on which your taxes are based, which is a little bit of, of, a, of a distinction, but there's a hard cap on what that can be. Exactly. And that 2% figure is intended to basically be a inflation index. Right. And predictable for people knowing this is what maximally my taxes will go up every year. Exactly. So that's what happens for someone who lives in, in living in a house. Uh, but there's a key change when a house is sold. Mm-hmm. When that house is sold, property bills are recalculated for the new owner based on the new purchase price. So generally, the longer someone owns their home, the lower their property taxes as a percentage of their home's actual market value today. Let's walk through a specific example, what this actually means for homeowners and kind of the loss of revenue for local governments that relied on property taxes and still do Yes. Um, in the wake of Prop 13. So, um, Liam, let's hop in the DeLorean. Yes. Uh, me and you. Okay. Let's go back to 1988. Oh, yeah. Great year. Uh, was that like George Michael? He was 1988. Ish. That's a very George Michael's the first thing you think of when it comes to I wasn't the very late eighties. I wasn't very old then. There Neither was I. Pee Wee Herman. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Godfather Part Three had not <laughs> happened yet. Anyway, so I picked that year because uh, this is just adopted from a LAO example. Yeah. And the math works out nice. So let's say we uh, pay one hundred and ten thousand dollars. For a house in 1988, yep, which sounds absolutely amazing. Now we we live in that house for 30 years, me and you. Cool. Um, sounds lovely. Yeah, an Oscar and Felix type situation. <laughs> By 2018, let's say the house is worth 600 grand. Yep. But the taxable value of that house, assuming that we hit this two percent increase mark every year only rises to $200,000, right? Yes. So the value of the house is actually 600 grand. The taxes that we're paying on it is based off this 200 grand level, right? Exactly. Which means our property tax bill is 2 grand, right? Yes. 1% of 200,000, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it would have been 6 grand. Again, assuming that 1% 1%. cap, which Mm -hmm. is instrumentally important, right? Mm -hmm. So that loss of revenue for local governments, that happens every year, right? And that gets compounded and compounded and compounded. And those savings accrue to us. The flip side of it is those savings accrue to us year after year after year after year. Yes. So that fundamentally is... The Prop 13 regime. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we felt like we needed to kind of go through that to talk about Prop 5 the Realtors Initiative, Yeah. what what does Prop 5 do at a 1,000-foot level? 
Yeah. So this is the problem they're trying, the realtors should say that they're trying to solve. And the problem is, as you can see from the example we just gave, um, older homeowners are paying, who have been around for a long time, are paying very low property taxes compared to what the actual values of their home are and Mm -hmm. compared to what the actual values of properties on the market are today. And so you have this sort of empty nest syndrome where you have folks who bought houses for their families in the 70s or 80s or whatever, now retiring, kids are gone off away from California because they can't afford to live here. And so you have these old houses that are large and people who don't need them anymore kind of stuck in them because they can't afford to buy a new place because their property taxes would rise so much. And so you have this sort of emptiness syndrome. And so the realtors say, hey, this is a problem. Let's try to fix it. And so their fix is essentially doubling down on Prop 13. I, I think it is a legitimate problem. You can, you can debate about how to fix it. How to fix it and yeah. how significant this problem is in yes. the you know overall scope of housing affordability problems that we have. Correct. But there are definitely older households that are that would like to move, that yes. would like to downsize or at least leave their current housing situation, but don't partly because of property tax concerns. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's not specious is all I'm trying no. to say. No, no. So um, basically what this does, and this is limited only to, to people who are 55 and older. Yes. Right? So we're dealing with, uh, I guess, middle-aged and older, or older middle-aged and elderly people. Yeah. And what they would get to do on- I, I think the disabled, too, are- Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yes. And so what this would do um, is essentially allows blended rates. So you move, you take your old property uh, value base, and you're able to move some of the tax savings that you would get to a new property, therefore allowing you to pay lower taxes than you otherwise would for a new property under under the current regime if Prop Five were to were to pass. Yeah, so I think it's best to try to describe this through an example, right? All right, let's do it. Okay. Okay. Let's continue with the example that we that we had. Yeah, the home the homeowners who purchased in 1988. For 110 grand, now their house or the assessed value of their house is 200 grand. Yes, and the market value of their house is 600 grand. Correct. Yes, yeah. it's us. It's a, oh yeah, it's oh, us. Yeah, yeah, we're we're our so we yeah. yeah good for us. So we yeah. we decide okay, we've already raised our kids. They're out to college. They're vaguely self sufficient. We want a divorce. We need to we let's sell. Yes, but we're still going to live together <laughs> in the in the new place. <laughs> this example isn't holding up very well. Um, Anyway, yeah. uh, we want a new place, um, and we're eyeing a nice new home. A condo, because we're downsizing. We're old. Yes, but the condo's market value, let's say, is seven hundred grand. Yes, well, right. I'm going to start with the nicer place example. Yes, yeah, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our current house is worth six hundred grand. Yep. So under current law, right? Yes. When we would, if we just bought that new uh, that new condo, we'd be paying taxes on that seven hundred grand value, right? And 1% of that is $7,000, right? Compare that to what we are currently paying on our house worth 600 grand, but is being taxed at a 200 grand rate, right? That's so, our, a, so our taxes go up 5,000 a year. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. But under Prop 5, should it pass, as you mentioned, you basically blend um, your old rate and your new rate. Your, your new assessed value is $300,000 on the $700,000 house. Um, and so your new property tax would be three grand a year. Yeah. So we're buying a house at 700000 The market value on our old house is 600000 Then our property taxes are three grand a year instead of the seven that we'd be paying under the current system. Exactly. So we save 
some money. A lot. And actually. the realtors yeah. would argue, well, this will induce more people to buy homes. Right. Yeah. So, well, this, they, they'll say this will induce uh, dealing with this empty nest problem. But yes. of course, a byproduct of this is more, ho- more homes to be sold, therefore more dollars in, in realtors' pockets. Let's say we really, really, really wanted to downsize. And we wanted to buy a super small condo yeah. in Shasta. Sure. That's a bad place to choose right now. A super small condo in Fresno. Yes. That was less than $600,000. So buying a property that is of less value, you would your property tax would be even lower than your current property tax. Yeah, they'd go down. They would actually go down. Which is unbelievable. Why is that unbelievable? Well, just because your your the actual the market value is still a lot higher. Um, than what your then the current market value, of, value right and your current taxable value so you're yeah. saving money in taxes by going into a new place yes yeah so yeah. Th- this is not a completely original idea right yes. so currently there's ten counties around the state where if you are 55 or older you do get some property tax savings um, if you downsize but the key to that is you can only do it once right it's only ten counties although some of them are large counties. Yeah. And the the property value of the new house you buy has to be lower than your current house's value. Um, it has to be a true downsizing. Yeah, and you're, uh, crucially, also your taxes won't don't go down. Actual tax payments don't go down in the in the uh, current regime, whereas in the new one it could. Let's kind of go through some of the pros and cons of this. Right, Liam. What do you think is the most compelling argument for Prop Five? So I think the empty nest. Um, thing. I mean, that has to be it. I mean, it is that is a legitimate issue in California's housing market. There have been academic studies that have supported this idea. Um, and it is, you know, we shouldn't have a situation whereby um, people feel stuck in their homes, homes that could be used, uh, if you will, more productively uh, by, by actual families with people who don't need them anymore. I, I think that's right. I, I think, I don't know how compelling it is, but another important argument, I would say, you know, the question of what's in it for younger homeowners or people who want to own homes yeah. is this is going to provide more inventory on the market, right? Yeah. You're going to get these baby boomers to finally sell their houses that they right. don't really want to live in anyway. Conceivably, that could mean a drop in prices for certain segments of the market. That's what the realtors are arguing. That's what the realtors are arguing. Yeah. And we'll get into some of the complications of that, of how true that might be. Right. What do you think is the most compelling argument against Prop well, I, 5? I think there are, there are many. Um, yes. Y- y- I mean, California housing policy in general is, is weighted towards uh, older homeowners. Um, this, is, this is really doubling down on that. And I think it, it, it's instructive to look at, um, you know, what Prop 13 in general has done since it passed. Um, there was good research out of USC um, that, that found um, that Prop 13 by itself has opened up huge wealth gaps generationally mm-hmm. because you have longtime residents paying significantly lower property taxes than the national average while also capturing the lion's share of increased wealth from rising values. And so they pay low taxes, get have gotten huge boosts in wealth, and here's another benefit that the state's going to give to them. Um, and that seems... Um, uh, an interesting place, uh, let's just say, for the state to decide to d- devote additional resources on housing issues. Yes, and I think maybe a little more specifically, it's that $2 billion figure that the LAO came up with. Is yeah. This is the loss of revenue that, you know— We're subsidizing um, uh, older homeowners again with that amount of money. I don't know. The more compelling argument for me is this is a significant loss of revenue to 
local governments and school districts. Well, and that gets into the some of the political opposition to this. I mean, sure. You, know, you have um, – uh, and it was interesting because I wasn't sure if there was going to be much opposition to this because of the sort of the cachet that Prop 13 has um, in the, the sort of the world of California politics. It's uh, often referred to as the third railiest of all the third rails, right? Yes. Um, more, so, more so even than like the CEQA stuff, right? Prop 13 is this sort of idea that it is in – people's minds is untouchable and so although um, that's definitely changing i think yeah it's changing yeah it's changing well i think this is another example of that you know you have um sort of high-powered labor unions uh saying this is bad um and it looks like they're actually going to be spending some money uh, against it to to fight it on on the ballot there was even an effort um during uh, the legislative session uh, in, in, in June, when a lot of these initiative negotiations were going on, uh, the California firefighters, I think, have been most out front against this, sent a, sent a note to legislative chiefs of staff and said, hey, don't make a deal with the realtors. This thing is bad, uh, and we're going to try to kill it. Uh, they have a kind of specific financial interest to rail against this initiative, right? They, they rely on property tax revenue for many of their jobs. That's right. And and there's been this uh, effort, um, I think, among uh, a number of labor unions to do to try to fight the, any things that would take money from the state's day to day budget, its general fund, because yes. that's less money for them. The more money the state has to subsidize schools because property tax receipts are lower, the less money you have for everything, whether exactly. it's higher education, health care or whatever it is. And then at a local level, you're right. I mean, property taxes are the things that fund fire services. Right in cities and counties across the state, so less money there means, uh, you know, a benefit given or a tax break given to someone means less money to to support those fire services. Let's let's talk about some of the. I'm just going to call it weirdness. It like, is weird. Do the realtors really want people to vote on this in November? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean. As we, as I just mentioned, as uh, previous listeners of the podcast would know, there is now a process whereby um, legislators can remove something, an initiative from the ballot. Uh, it's usually in exchange for some sort of deal, right? Mm-hmm. And the realtors were actively shopping a deal on this because they were worried about the union opposition that they have now and having to spend the money on uh, on on the campaign in November to get this thing passed. And one of the main reasons for that um, opposition was, I guess, again, as we mentioned, this would take money from. The general fund, that's what all the analysis say. So um, the realtors are trying to shop a deal to remove this from the ballot in November and instead put an alternative measure on in 2020 that would uh, sort of pay back some of the money that they were taking away so they could pay for their um, Prop 13 expansion that they wanted to do. Yes, mitigate the fiscal impact of this. Exactly. So uh, it's weird uh, because they pitched this in June. It didn't happen, right? The deadline was the end of June. But what the realtors told me is they still think that this can get pulled off uh, the ballot uh, before November. There and uh, how exactly would that happen? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the legislature would have to pass a law uh, that that says that the, they would change the they would take this off and it would change the rules and all these sorts of things. Secretary of State tells me that's not a thing. Like you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless, now the realtors have filed an alternative initiative. Uh, just filed this week to do what they want to do for 2020. And they say it's sort of a backstop if their measure does not pass this year. And also, I think in, they hope it's some sort of leverage, perhaps, to get the legislator to act uh, this month in the final month and of the legislative year. And it is weird to – I mean, they this was – they publicized this. They yes. put out a press release on this. Yes. It is weird while there is a initiative that you're backing for – this election year yes. to say, hey, we got another one that's basically the same thing with some tweaks that actually might make it a little better or at least more palatable right. um, two years from now. Yes. It's just, it's odd. 
Yes. Um, and it also begs the question, how much money are they going to spend behind this? Are they right. going to save some of that? They have a lot of money, but are yeah. they going to save some of that for two years from now? How much muscle are they going to put behind this initiative? Exactly. Uh, do we have anything else you want to talk about? Yes. Oh, uh, oh your wonky uh, thing. So this LAO analysis, I would say, is critical to the opposition for Prop 5, right? Would you agree with that? Well, yeah. Anytime you show something costs money and that money starts with a B for billion, then that's uh, that's a concern. And another element of the analysis is who exactly would benefit uh, from Prop 5. And the LAO found that the vast majority of people that would benefit from Prop 5 would be moving anyway. So these would be people over 55 that were going to move, and then they're like, okay, great, I'll get additional property tax savings from this this thing, which really strikes at the core of the realtors pushing this. Mm-hmm. So I just have a, a little aside here. I trust the LAO. The LAO does fantastic work. One thing that the LAO doesn't do, or at least doesn't do always, is be completely transparent with how they model out things and the math behind it. What I mean by this is if you go to the LAO and you ask, how exactly did you arrive at these totals? How exactly did you get to that $2 billion figure, right? Mm -hmm. How exactly did you get to not many homeowners taking advantage of this? They can tell you, we took kind of broadly this approach. These are the studies we looked at. But you can't actually see the underlying models, the specific math behind it, right? And that's kind of an informal policy they have for a lot of their analyses. So I, I'm just kind of calling out, I don't think that's the right approach. I understand why they do it. If you do produce the actual model, it subjects you to a lot of typically invalid criticism from interested parties who will attack all the assumptions that you had to make and the choices you had to make. But if, if this is so elemental to the analysis, if this is so elemental to the debate around the initiative, they should be a little more transparent with it, where reporters and people like me, the only people who probably care, can be like, hey, can you show me exactly what you did to get to these totals? Yeah. Um, thanks for uh, data guy rant. Um, but I, I think... <laughs> I, it's I, important. No, no. I, I, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna follow up my um, jibe at you uh, with a uh, yes. I mean, we expect transparency from our from our government to tell us how they arrive from A to B. You know, we try to be at least, you know, uh, I and others try to be transparent about how I reach my conclusions, and that's the best way. Um, yes, I think you're right. Um, you start, you publish your model, and interest groups with a lot of money will hire an economist yes. to tell you why your model is wrong, and yes. then that's a whole new level of fighting. It is. Right? And- and it, yeah. it, it's understandable why they don't. Yeah. But I think the the benefits from disclosure outweigh the the drawbacks. Yes, that sounds like a portion of our public records law you just quoted from. Hmm. Thank you. I didn't know I was doing that. Yes. All right. Uh, so let's now move on to our guests. We are here with Steve White, who is president of the California Association of Realtors, who have put Prop Five on the ballot for this fall. How are you doing, Steve? Terrific. And you guys? We're good. Thanks for for being here. I'm okay. Liam and I are not over 55. We're in our early 30s. A lot of our audience is in our age range, I'd say. Mm -hmm. What's in it for us? Why should we vote yes on Prop 5? 
Well, I'm assuming that um, if you're in your early 30s, that your parents are probably in their 50s. So right off the bat, this is a terrific thing, not only for uh, you know seniors over 55, um, but this you know this is all about property fairness for large numbers of Californians. Uh, in addition to seniors. Um, you know, uh, currently there's a moving penalty that penalizes them and the gravely disabled. And perhaps most poignantly at this time, as fires rage across California, disaster victims. So when you say moving penalty, can you can you explain a little more what you mean by that? Yes. You know, um, many Californians uh, know that they're, they feel trapped in their large homes because they know that while they may be able to purchase a new home, you know, sell their home and purchase a new home, they could never afford the corresponding higher property taxes. And what we're seeing now um, is disaster victims that would face a steep moving penalty People are losing their homes, and if they want to rebuild in a different community, um, they would face that steep moving penalty of, of higher property taxes. And that's, that's just not how California is supposed to work. And by passing uh, Proposition 5, we'll restore property tax fairness while ensuring that people are still uh, paying their fair share in property taxes. So... We've talked a lot on this podcast, uh, in this episode and in many other ones before, about how California's housing problems sort of predominantly are issues right now that are affecting young folks and people who are low income. This is a benefit that is uh, for um, older people. Why give older people another benefit? Well, there are there are tens of thousands of, of, of older folks that feel they're trapped in their in their homes, and these are largely larger family homes. And I'm seeing this uh, all over the state, to where if those folks were able to sell, then folks in your generation would have homes to purchase, which they have very few choices. You have very few choices with the low inventory of available properties. By the legislative analyst's office, um, analysis alone that shows that this would result in tens of thousands of, of, of sales, uh, freeing up these larger properties that, um, you know, younger families would be able to purchase that simply aren't on the market today. Sure. I, Steve, I think that LAO analysis also showed that the vast majority of this benefit would go to homeowners who were going to move anyway. Um, I'm wondering what your response to, to that is. In other words, it's, uh, it's not going to induce a lot of people to move. Uh, that's not what um, 200,000 realtors all over the state are seeing. We're seeing people that um, are unable to move. They feel they're unable to move um, closer to their families or health care simply because uh, they cannot afford on their fixed incomes. They just can't afford the corresponding higher property taxes that would result on um, a purchase of a, a replacement property when they do move closer to family or, or, or health care. This is a, a critical piece. And, you know, it is said that this is um, Proposition 13 related, which it is, but this really is... Um, the voters of California uh, years ago uh, passed Proposition 60 and 90, which allow senior homeowners 
to purchase uh, a new property, sell their property and purchase a new property and move uh, and bring their lower Proposition 13 tax basis with them. It simply doesn't work. Our Proposition 5 uh, cleans up some inequities in Proposition 60 and 90 and makes it work for Californians. So what about the fact, you know, I certainly understand, and we have talked a lot about this moving penalty issue and that, you know, money that you would get or, or increases in home values don't necessarily mean liquid cash for people who are living in, in homes. But let's, I also don't want to ignore the fact that those who bought houses um, in California a long time ago have seen a tremendous amount of increase in their, in their wealth through rising property values. Um, you know, given that, um, this, this, again, adds another, you know, adds a more extensive benefit that would also uh, boost their, their wealth. You know, that's true. The um, many homeowners that purchased, uh, most homeowners that purchased many, many years ago um, with the run-up in prices, I mean, my gosh, the median price in California now for a, for a single-family home is uh, in excess of 600000 statewide. Um, Many of those folks do have real equity in their in their properties, and in fact, um, many of them would be subject to the capital gains tax, um, and are very willing to pay that property gains tax to sell their property and move closer to family or or, or health care. What's unaffordable for them is the corresponding high property taxes. That's unaffordable when you have seniors that are on fixed incomes. Um, yes, they can afford to purchase another property and maybe even pay cash for a, a, a replacement property. But when you're on a fixed income, um, they cannot afford the corresponding high property tax, higher property taxes. Steve, if Prop 5 passes, will house prices go up or down? Um, we don't have an analysis on, on that, I think, in the near term. Um, the biggest effect that Prop 5 will have, um, and we discussed that about the legislative analyst's office stating that this would result in uh, more sales in California, it will level the playing field for uh, a lot of families that are locked out of the housing market today because there simply isn't enough inventory of available properties. Let's talk about some of the some of the politics uh, uh, of this. Um, can you you know you folks were actively engaged in the, with the legislature in um, in trying to make a deal um, uh, over the summer or in the early summer? Why why is that? I my phone uh, my phone beeped at me. So. Oh okay, I'll ask the question again. Uh, so let's let's talk about some of the politics of this. Um, so uh, back in June, early summer, uh, you folks were actively engaged with the legislature to, to try to make a deal on this ballot measure. Uh, why? Measure? Measure. I lost. <laughs> I did not say that correctly. It's ballot measure. Why were you trying to make a deal with the legislature back in uh, back in June? Well, subsequent to our effort to collect signatures for this, um, there, uh, you know, there were other um, other issues that came up that. Um, are looking at other aspects of intergenerational transfers, which currently uh, allow parents and grandparents to um, transfer property to their children and grandchildren, at, and, and the recipient would keep the same tax basis. Uh, there is now uh, a 
movement to repeal um, the Proposition 13 uh, provisions for commercial properties. Mm-hmm. Once those come up, we want to, uh, we're fiercely opposed to split roll, as it's called, right. which would uh, allow the reassessment of um, commercial properties on an annual basis as opposed to removes the, the, the Proposition 13 provisions of that. So subsequent to that, um, you know, it's, it's a moving, it's a fluid situation. It's a moving target, and we want to make sure that all Californians um, have fair property taxes and pay their fair share. So the um, the deal we were hoping with the legislature would address those other issues that are that are looming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are, were you concerned um, with the current measure? You have a, a pretty good opposition from organized labor, which is certainly another powerful interest group uh, at the Capitol um, and in campaigns. Are you concerned about that? Actually, as of the last reporting period, there is no organized opposition to our measure. There's no campaign committee, whereas the realtors are highly organized, well-funded, and have over 200,000 members in every corner of California to carry the message to California voters. So, sure, but certainly they've threatened to, to spend it, spend money and otherwise be active in, in fighting this, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're, what, 90 days away from the election and there's no <laughs> campaign? <laughs> you, sound pretty, you sound pretty confident. You know, our numbers are strong and show that when we deliver the message addressing the moving, pe- the moving penalty for seniors, disabled Californians or the tens of thousands of Californians affected by disasters, the voters respond favorably. We, you know, we're, we're going to be victorious in November. Oh. Hmm? Well, and that brings the question, okay, well, then what, why are you have another yes. initiative that you decided to file for 2020 in case this does not pass? And, and understandable. I mentioned the other issues that have come up, um, specifically, um, Changing the intergenerational transfers. Uh, there's, you know, the the LAO has um, advised, or they put out a paper in January saying, "Hey, legislature, you probably want to look at this." And then the split roll. So when realtors met in late June, we wanted to continue the effort to achieve property tax fairness and build on Proposition Five, specifically. Uh, we wanted to be prepared to move forward with an initiative in 2020 that complements our Proposition 5. Which is a better uh, initiative, this one on the November ballot or one uh, the one that might be on the ballot in 2020? Well, the, the two are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they're inclusive. Um, the, the 2020 uh, initiative would... Um, reform the intergenerational transfer law, and it fixes the abuses in connection with commercial and real property assessment. Um, You know, our solution to the commercial property reassessment issue is the right approach as opposed to a wholesale split Mm rule that is set to be on the 2020 ballot, which is simply bad for California. So, but here's a question. If Prop 5 passes, are you going to move forward with the 2020 measure? Well, what we've done is we've submitted for title and summary, which we expect to get back in early October. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we want to be prepared to move forward in the most efficient, uh, cost-efficient, excuse me, the most efficient and, and, and cost-efficient way. And doing that now ensures that. And submitting now allows CAR to position itself to go forward in 2020 if that's what our board of directors um, decide to do. But it sounds sounds to me like you're saying if Prop 5 passes, then it's less likely that you'll need this alternative. Well, the alternative, in, you know, it, it's inclusive of Prop 5, but it also has the right. very important provisions that I, that I previously mentioned. Yeah. Those issues that have kind of raised their, their um, awareness uh, since we started the effort on Prop 5. All right, so Steve, is there anything else that you want to add or make sure we know or want, to, want our listeners to know about this, Prop 5? Yes, I think that um, if you look at um, the housing crisis in California, um, the you know housing supply crisis, um, this is just a key part of this challenge in solving that the the housing supply crisis uh, by achieving property tax fairness. Um, as we discussed, the LAO has stated that this would result in tens of thousands of, of new sales um, freeing up properties. Uh, we know that they would free up properties for younger families, like in your generation, um, to that are ready, willing, able, and qualified to purchase a, a property that simply isn't on the market today. All right. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Thank you very much. We're here with Dorothy Johnson, who's an advocate for the California State Association of Counties, an organization that is opposed to Proposition 5. How are you doing, Dorothy? Very well, thanks. Um, and my apologies, Liam couldn't be here. He is uh, invested in a couple deep reporting projects. He, he extends his apologies. That's no problem. Uh, okay. You should take it more personally, though. I should? Okay. Duly noted. <laughs> so I, I actually have... Uh, a parent and knows some friends of parents who are in the situation that the realtors kind of outline, which is they would be interested in moving, but they are scared of the property tax implications. Why, why shouldn't I vote for Prop 5 and help those people out? Well, those people, your you know friends and parents, um, they already have the opportunity to carry forward their tax base. Prop 60 was passed in the 80s and it was expanded through Prop 90 and a few other uh, voter-approved measures. So they can already take their existing tax base and move to a home of equal or lesser value. And in addition, some counties even let you change the location so you can move from one county to the next and still not get that tax penalty when you move to a home of uh, uh, a different uh, residence. Could, could you talk a little bit more about what the fiscal impact would, would be to local governments if this passed? Right, happy to. So um, the nonpartisan legislative analyst office said it's a billion dollar hit once this program is up and running. And when you think about property taxes for counties, that's about 20% of our discretionary budget. That's a huge, huge loss for us. And when you look at fire districts, uh, they're almost entirely dependent on property tax. So we're taking a massive amount of uh, funding that's provided for services and programs 
Um, and it's really just for the benefit of a very small population of homeowners. Um, I'm curious whether you guys think Prop 5, if it passed, would increase or decrease home prices. We're concerned it would actually increase home prices um, because you're looking at a group of homeowners who already are um, uh, able to move and potentially take that property tax base and apply it to a greater purchase price of a home. And really, that's what the real estate industry is trying to do with this measure, is um, turn the market and drive up prices so their end profit is really, um, you know, uh, to their benefit. So Prop 13 gets, gets blamed for a lot of things, and I think rightly so, especially when it comes to the funding of local governments. But I'm curious, what would you do to fix it? Like, what specifically would you do to change Prop 13 to kind of make it more manageable? That is a conversation that could take up your entire podcast. <laughs> I don't want to We do actually that. have, yes. Yeah, no, I'm sure I've you've checked out some of your programs. But no, um, I think what you shouldn't do is approve a type of program like Prop 5 is doing, because this undermines the very essence of why supposedly Prop 13 works. Prop 13 works because uh, property values are a steady, growing uh, revenue stream. And uh, when you cut into it by allowing a certain group of people to buy more expensive homes more often all over the state, you're eroding that tax base. But, but in terms of like practical fixes, maybe like something like split roll or something like that, is, is that something that you guys are supportive of? We haven't taken a position on split roll. We're focused right now on Prop 5 and the danger it uh, poses and the threat it poses to our local governments. Um, that's, again, split roll is a great conversation, but right now we're focused on November 2018 and what is going to happen when statewide we're losing a billion dollars a year, a uh, billion dollars a year in, uh, in property tax revenue. So it may not just be uh, November of this year. You guys also may be fighting this, depending on what happens in November 2020. What do you make of uh, the realtors are already filing for a 2020 petition with some changes that could mitigate the fiscal impact on, on counties? You know, you would have to ask the real estate industry. We're uh, just as perplexed as everyone else. Um, they've spent about $7 million to get this 2018 uh, ballot moving forward. And that's what we're really focused on. 2020 is a little ways off, and we want to make sure that this threat of a billion dollars in property tax revenue losses isn't going to be coming around um, uh, at the end of the, of the year. So, it, is, the, is the new measure, would that be more palatable to you? I know, I, uh, initial review, it's confusing. Um, and just kind of like the fiscal what? analysis that they did for Prop 5, it's not apples to apples. So unfortunately, I think local government, Prop 5 and the 2020 measure would hurt services and programs that we provide um, throughout the state for all Californians. Um, I think what's also troubling is the statement that um, this will somehow help the housing crisis, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't provide a single new unit. It doesn't protect any affordable housing, and it doesn't help people who are trying to get into homeownership afford homes. And then the other side of that is we're dealing with a statewide homelessness crisis. Again, this does nothing to help address the issue of underhoused or homeless individuals. Uh, and for counties, that's a major priority for us this year. Cities and counties are often criticized for being impediments in and of themselves to 
to new construction. I'm wondering kind of your your take on that and whether you feel that's fair. Uh, I think that's another great podcast that I'm sure you've covered before. No, I mean, again. Well, you, um, can, you, can, you can understand some people being like, yeah, I don't know if I really like Prop 5, but when, you know, when local governments come up there and say this is not going to help the housing crisis, uh, well, you guys aren't doing a lot for the housing crisis as well, right? You could understand that type of argument. I can understand it, right. Um, but I think what is important to know is that this doesn't do anything either. Um, Prop 5 mm-hmm. isn't a solution. Um, and I would say it, it varies greatly by region. And so, um, and that's, again, for all the reasons why we need to retain local control that Prop 5 wipes out. Thinking back to El Dorado County again, um, you know, they're a, a county that was seeing a revenue loss of half a million dollars because they were allowing out-of-county uh, tax bills to come in. So, um, and it's, it's troubling, too, because if counties, cities um, are taking a property tax loss from Prop 5, we will have that fewer resources to provide to incentivize uh, affordable housing and provide homelessness programs. Mm-hmm. Are, are certain counties more upset about this than others? Um, I'm not aware of each county's official position on the measure, but uh, we're looking into moving trends where people are retiring, where uh, home prices are different, mm-hmm. and that's just it. This will have a different impact in every county. Uh, and the realtor's uh, uh, fiscal analysis doesn't take into account regional differences. They also don't take into account the issue of when uh, the buyer of the home is Prop 5 eligible, but the seller of the home is also Prop 5 eligible. So it creates this uh, freeze hmm. or this erosion in the property tax base. Um, I think different regions will be impacted very differently. Uh, and unfortunately, again, El Dorado County as an example, uh, certain counties will be facing a massive loss. What are you scared of in terms of the messaging from the realtors? Uh, well, we're focused on the real service impacts. Yeah. Um, the real estate industry is hyping up how they're helping people who are 55 and older, how they're helping people with disabilities, how they're helping victims of disaster. That's not what they're doing here. What the real estate industry is doing is trying to sell more homes that cost more in an expedited manner. And we cannot support that, which is why we are strongly opposed by firefighters, teachers, seniors groups, housing advocates, local governments. We are all opposed to Prop 5. But but in terms of like, oh, this specific message from the realtors actually could resonate, there's not, whether it's, you know, actually well-founded or not, there's not anything that, that kind of concerns you on that front? It, it comes down, again, I think, to education. Um, we, I get calls on a daily basis, maybe not every day, but twice a week at least, from seniors and other individuals who want to see if they can uh, benefit from this uh, tax advantage. And they can already under law. Um, we, we think that the voters will see through these ploys to target um, sensitive populations, uh, vulnerable populations. But those uh, vulnerable populations are the exact same folks that we as counties and our other service providers help on a day-to-day basis in moments of crisis or just, you know, again, daily need. So I'm, I'm not going to get you to uh, just even vaguely refer to any of the realtors messaging around this, am I? 
that's uh, <laughs> I don't, that's that's not going to happen. No, I've been working with the real estate industry on these types of proposals, fighting them on these types of proposals for years. This is, I think, their fifth go at it, either between the legislature uh, trying to get bills passed or yeah. now on the ballot. And it's just so um, – I hope the voters will see through these these myths that they're spreading because, again, this is already in law. Uh, their firefighters, their schools are the ones that will be taking the hit. What, what do you make of the generational aspect to this? Well, I don't know if this is generational or this is about making more money for a specific industry. When Prop 60, the original proposition, was passed by voters in 1986, uh, the age was designated as 55. I don't know if that's still uh, an age where we're at that much of a generational shift between uh, grandparents, parents, children, and then their children. Um, it's again. What, sorry, I, I what, think, what do you mean by that? Well, so the, they're building on the original uh, proposition, Prop 60, mm-hmm. and that provided at age 55. Uh, you get this benefit because you're a, a senior. But I don't know if that really is a senior generation in this day and time. Uh, we know the state has changed their retirement system to now be 62 or 65. Um, and honestly, I don't know many folks who are able to retire at 55 for a number of reasons. I think that's it. Thank you, Dorothy. It was so nice speaking with you. Thank you for listening to Give Me Shelter, the California Housing Crisis podcast presented by Cal Matters. You can follow me on Twitter at mlevinreports. And uh, follow me, Liam Dillon, on Twitter at, at @dillonliam. See you next time.